Welcome. Good to see everybody here this morning. We are on a 10-week uh, series called God and Our Greatest Fears. Uh, we have many fears that are in common, the fear of death. I think that all of us kind of sense that, that, uh, whoa, this is not going to be good. This is a little scary. Uh, we have fear of failure, fear of misery, um, fear of uh, losing our freedom, a lot of fears that we all have in common. And as we look at these fears that we have in common, uh, we want to ask the question, what does God say about these fears? If God was going to speak into a fear that I have, what would be God's comment about these fears? So what we're doing is we're exploring <clears throat> the Bible, the Word of God, uh, to see what He says about uh, um, these fears that all of us face. This morning we're looking at the fear of pain and suffering. Number one, one of our greatest fears is living with pain and suffering. Big issue, big topic. What does it mean? I don't think it needs a large explanation, but I'll give you a fast explanation. Chronic pain, pain that you feel in your body, a hurt that is unbearable often, a hurt that does not go away, Uh, pain, emotional pain, um, in a sense that sometimes emotional pain can even give you um, physical pain. Ulcers come from an emotional pain that takes place. Um, Pain is something that we want to get rid of. Pain is something that we want to out of our life. Pain is something that we want dealt with. Um, This is common sense, but pain is something that we want gone because the issue has a power to ruin us. The issue has a power to destroy us. The issue has a power to rule us. So it is um, a big issue, and it is a big issue um, in the Word of God as well. But we've got to ask the question, what is God going to say about um, our pain? I'm facing chronic pain. What would God um, say about it? It seems like whenever pain does come into effect, um, God is um, always mentioned. Whether we're believers or not, we usually we mention them in vain, or we mention them in a pleading, God, help me. This is an issue that has to be dealt with. This is an issue that must be addressed. This is an issue where I need to understand what to do with it how to respond to it, how to react to it. I would um, encourage you that if you do not believe in God, uh, to try to find a book on this topic. Find a book on the topic where there gives an explanation of pain and how to deal with it and how to walk with it. Um, Study, explore, try to find an answer. If you are a believer, or if you're just even looking into the, um, the Christian faith, there is a book on the topic, and the book is the Bible. And what it does, it talks um, explicitly about why pain is here, what Christ has done with pain, and what you should do with the pain that you have. So we're just going to break this sermon up into three different areas. Why is there pain? What did Christ do? Or what did God do as a result of pain being on this earth? And then what should we do with our pain? Last night I was 15 minutes over. It is a big topic, difficult subject, but I will try to go as fast as we can to make sure that we're in our time frame. Really fast, skimming the surface. Why is there pain? Pain comes from the curse of sin. Nature no longer works properly as a result of sin. What took place when Adam and Eve before sin came into the world is that there was no earthquakes, there's no tornadoes, there's no mosquitoes, there was no back pain, there was no, there was no hurt. Nature worked like it was supposed to work. 
Adam and Eve worked like they were supposed to work. There was a love relationship between them and God, and it all functioned in complete harmony, and everybody functioned appropriately. But when sin entered the world, two things came into effect, pain and disorder. Let's look at this. Genesis 3.16. This is after Adam and Eve had sinned. God looks at Eve and says, the woman said, I, or God said, I will greatly increase your pain in childbearing. With pain you will give birth. So we see the first mention after sin took place is that pain is going to come into your body. And this is specifically saying childbirth. But then the next thing, your desire will be for your husband and you will rule, he will rule over you. So what do we get in the first part? We get pain. The next thing we get is disorder. What does that verse say? It says that every marriage will struggle, according to that verse right there. After sin, it said every marriage will struggle. Your desire is to tell your husband what he is supposed to do and how he's supposed to do it, and you will be on him, and he will rise above you, and he will fight you as a result. You see, pain and disorder take place into our system after sin has taken place. Have you ever said in an argument with your wife or an argument with your husband, why are we always fighting? Open up Genesis 3.16. That's why we're always fighting. Disorder in our relationships happen as a result of sin. Genesis 3.17. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, now this is given to Adam, through painful toil you will eat of it. You will eat of it all the days of your life. And then we have the disorder. It, the earth, will produce thorns and thistles. And thorns and thistles will come, but there will be things that will be worse than thorns and thistles. Hurricanes, tornadoes, accidents, nature will be, have this curse and be against us as well. Romans 8.20, for the creation was subjected to frustration. I think we can all say that obviously creation is subject to frustration because we see the weather, we watch the news. Romans 8.22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Romans 8.19, the creation waits eagerly, waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Creation is suffering even as much as we are suffering as a result of sin. So here we have this pain, we know it, we feel it, and nobody in this world can deny it. Believe it or not, nobody in this world can deny that we carry pain. It's the way it is. But what is God going to say about it? What is God going to do about it? Is God silent about our pain? Is God absent as a result from our pain? Does God look at you and say, toughen up as a result of the pain that we're going through? What is God going to do in regards to a world that is now suffering pain and disorder? Now, what God does, um, we might not like, and often this is where we want to preach God the sermon rather than have God preach us the sermon. And uh, the way that we often can preach God the sermon is, God, um, obviously you're not in control. Have you looked around lately? Um, And it looks pretty ugly. Have you seen the pain that I'm going through? Obviously, you do not care for me. Why? Because this pain is so severe that you must be absent in a result of this pain. Therefore, I'm starting to question, do you even exist as I walk through this pain? Uh, the other things that we do is we, we look at God and say, God, 
the pain that we see on this world has no reason, it has no purpose, it has no understanding. Uh, if you're in control, it would be gone. Obviously, you're not in control. Obviously, you do not exist. And people even start rejecting God as a result of what? As a result of pain that we suffer. Here's God's response to pain that has taken place. Number three, first response. God chose to suffer worse than anyone who has ever suffered. God sees the pain, and since God sees the pain, he says, I will feel the pain worse than anyone has ever felt. We see the suffering of our Lord on the cross. I will move to the cross for the salvation of my people, and as I come to save my people, I will completely understand everything that they walk through in life as the nails are put into my hand. I will understand the pain of shame as I will stand up there, hang up there, half naked on the cross. I will understand the pain of rejection as even one of my greatest disciples, one of my disciples, kissed me in betraying me. If you look at the cross, you will see nothing but pain, 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 pain as an explanation that God is going to go through it with you, and God is going to go even below you worse than the pain that you have ever experienced. Now, you also might be thinking that, well, I was molested as a child, and I have suffered with that for my entire life. And that pain is so deep, that pain is so raw, that pain is completely unbearable. God doesn't understand that. Well, God does understand that. And the reason why God understands it is because when he was put on the cross and the nails went into his hands, you never hear him scream. You hear him moan. But when God took all the sin, all the shame, all the guilt, all the power that sin carries and placed it on his son, where he became the worst sinner yet perfect, according to Martin Luther, the worst sinner yet perfect because every sin rested on his shoulders and he felt the pain of it, it was then that God turned his head. And it was then that he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I will take the pain of every sin that has walked, has happened on this earth, and it will be on my shoulders, and I will feel it. Why? I believe because I think he completely understands how much we hurt. He does understand how much we hurt. He also understands how much we deserve it because there is sin, but he understands how much he loves us, and as a result, he has responded to us in that way of taking that pain on his shoulders. Hebrews 10, or Hebrews 2, 17, for this reason, he, being Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that, might, that he might make an atonement for the sins of his people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted as well. So we think of pain. I'm hurting. I, I must be doing something wrong. I'm suffering. There must be something that's taken place in my life that is absolutely not good. Maybe I'm not pleasing God. Is that the case? God looked at Jesus and said, I demand that you are perfect 
And as a result of Jesus being perfect, God killed him for it. Because he understood, he understood the amount of suffering and pain that has taken place, and he has given us an avenue to be able to wipe it out, and this was specifically the avenue that is there. Next thing God did, God has given us an opportunity um, to have an eternity without pain. You consistently hear the words, life um, is short. Um, as I was a child, I remember looking at adults and saying, I will never be that old. I think that I will die definitely before I get to, to that point. I remember um, thinking that when the pastor was preaching, it seemed like he always talked about Jesus coming, and we just can't wait to Jesus come. And I remember a prayer that I prayed when I was a child, God, please help me to get married before Jesus comes, because I would really like to, you know, have the experience of that, a relationship. And so I was almost scared of Jesus coming, because it seemed like it was going to be so short. But all of a sudden, I've been married for 20 years. I think that's a little crazy. Raising kids, you think, okay, it's going to be a long time when my kids are growing up. And um, it was yesterday that they were crawling, and today they are driving, and uh, life moves fast. I'm 44 years old. If I doubled my age, I'd be 88. No offense to anybody who is 88, but I, if I'm not dead, I'd be pretty, I mean, anyway, it is fast. <laughs> it is fast, and I think that we all can know that it is fast, and it comes. And every time we look around, it's like, boy, this is, this is moving fast. Um, it is moving fast. And as a result of this moving fast, God is saying, hang on. God is saying, hang on. Hang on because there is a day that I will wipe every single pain away. Now one of our prayers is, God, why don't you wipe pain away right now? Why don't you get rid of pain right now? In other words, why don't you clear all evil and all pain out of us right now. So that's often the prayer that we do. Then God says, no, I will get rid of pain later. Why would he say something like that? It says in Matthew, when it talks about the sheep, that hold on until everybody is in my fold. If God got rid of pain during the Reformation and he came and gave us all freedom, and came and, and, and returned, you know what? I would not be able to be in the arms of God. Why? Because Reformation took place in 1500s. I'm in 2000. Uh, what is it? 18. So looking at our years, what is God doing? As we're walking through this pain, he says, I am not getting rid of pain. I'm not getting rid of evil. I'm encouraging people to hang on, because as you guys continue to hang on, more people are coming to my fold. Therefore, hang on and survive, but hold on to this promise. One day every tear will be washed away. Revelation 21, 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain. And the order of the things has passed, for the older, older, for the old order of things have passed away. 1 Peter 1, 3. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And into the inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. In this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while you may, ha you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. 
hold on, there is going to be a resurrection, and when that resurrection takes place, it is going to be absolutely amazing, and every tear that you cried and every pain that you had will be nothing compared to what you will receive when Christ returns. Romans 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us when Christ returns. Number five, this is what God has done. God has chosen to use pain as a megaphone to reach the lost world. Um, If you look all the way through Scripture, um, you see death, you see pain, and you see Satan at work. But what takes place through death and through pain and Satan at work is there's still God who is in control. And Satan can only accomplish the opposite of what he wants to accomplish. And the reason why he can only accomplish the opposite of what he wants to accomplish is because through pain and suffering, you see the beauty of life. You see the beauty of somebody that carries eternal life, that carries strength, that that carries a home that is beyond this home. Whenever suffering takes place, and it's happening on a believer, this is a chance that we can have a megaphone to say, my world is not, this world is not my home. All the way through Scripture, we see Job suffer. But as Job was suffer, what what do we do? We've been reading about him for over 3,000 years, the story of Job. If Job never suffered, you would never know the story, you never know Job. Because the whole book is written specifically for the purpose to see that Job doesn't even belong here on this earth. Job, knowing God, belongs in heaven, and we know that he belongs in heaven. Why? Because the suffering that took place made a revelation from his heart stand so tall that this man has a God that is beyond his pain, beyond his suffering. So what God has done is God has chosen to make it a megaphone to the lost world that does not have eternal life. And the megaphone is a large statement that says there is a God and there is no louder megaphone in the world that says I am in pain and I rejoice because there is a God. Second Corinthians twelve seven through the Bible we see that God almost has given somebody pain. Paul says you are going to go through some pain, but there is going to be a purpose behind it. We see it in 2 Corinthians 12. To keep me from becoming conceited, this is Paul talking, because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. There was given me a thorn in the flesh. Who gave him? It's like God gave him that thorn in the flesh. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then people will see, will see Christ. Seems like pain comes onto our shoulders. And as pain comes under our shoulders, is it because we sin? Or is it sometimes God using a curse that is designed to destroy us to give glory to God in His name? Sometimes that might happen. It takes place as we are the salt of the earth. 
And you're not going to be able to see the salt when it is happy, joyous, oftentimes when we are downcast. That is when God rises above it all. We are the light of the world. We live in a world of pain. How is that light going to shine in a megaphone that is going to be so large? Often within our pain, that light, that light shines. This is not our home. We're prepared for a bigger home. And in this world, we all suffer. But what God has done is he's in areas, has turned it and said, okay, we are all suffering. This is what I challenge people to do with their suffering. Use it as a megaphone for my, for my glory. So here we are, struggling with pain. Uh, what should we do? How should we um, respond? What answers does God give us to be able to survive the pain that we um, are in? What tools has he provided that we can find healing from a chronic pain, a pain where our body feels? Is there anything out there that God has to offer to give me strength in the process of pain? What should I do? Number six, uh, we must feed on the sugar of the word, uh, of sugar out of God's word that can only be tasted through pain. We must feed on the sugar out of God's word that can only be tasted through pain. You can ask the question, is there anything good that comes out of war? And I'm not talking about results. I'm talking about that comes out of the sickness and ugly of war. There is some things that are good, and one of the things that are good that comes out of the sickness of war is there is relationships developed that are so strong that are unbreakable in the midst of war. In fact, those that are charging into battle go shoulder to shoulder. And as they go shoulder to shoulder, they will say, I will lay down my life for my friend because I am so connected with him. And even when people come back home, they're like, I have to get over there. And the reason why I must get back into war is because those that I'm so, this tight connection, those that I'm so connected with are fighting without me. I need to be alongside of them. See, what happens in pain is it seems like relationships continue to grab more than they've ever grabbed before as a result of pain. We saw that um, in the beginning that disorder is going to take place. And in disorder, what happens? Disorder comes to relationships, comes to husbands and wives. And as this disorder comes into relationships, two things are going to happen. It's going to drive you away, or it's going to drive you closer. You see what's taking place that in war, in pain, in walking through an earth that is very, very rough, there is relationships that are growing rich as a result of things that we, as a result of things that we suffer. When you study the, the people that have suffered the most, it seems like they have received the most sugar from God. Look at Job. The whole book is on suffering. And he makes a statement at the end of his book. I, if, if we often would think that, why doesn't Job chew God out and tell God what for as a result of his pain? But he makes a statement at the end of his book that is one of the most powerful statements in the Bible. Here it is. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things, all things. In other words, I know that you could have relieved me of my pain. I know that I could have been set free from my pain, but no plan of yours will be thwarted. I suffered. I went through it. You could have relieved me, but no plan 
There's a plan in it. We'll be thwarted. You asked, who is it that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to even understand. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. And then he says the words, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. He tasted something from God that he would have never tasted if pain did not take place in his life. My eye, ears have always heard you, but now that I've walked through this, I have seen you clearly. Seen what? Seen your mercy, seen your love, seen your compassion, seen your power, seen your will. Spurgeon says, we cannot expect to see God at his best until we see the devil at his worst. Psalms 119.50, my comfort in my suffering is this, your promise preserves my life. Martin Luther said, I could never rightly understand some of the Psalms until I was afflicted. John Trapp explained that I could never understand the truth of Scripture until it was burned in me with a hot iron. In this pain, there is a relationship that you can have with God that is the most deepest relationship that anybody can have with God, determined on the extent of the pain that we are even facing. Also in war, the other thing that you will see is you'll see the greatest heroes that has ever arised on this earth. You see heroes that have stood tall that said, I will lay everything down for my brothers. Those heroes come as a result um, of, of conflict. Think as we look at pain on this earth, God is a hero that brought salvation to us. And as pain is coming, what can we do? We can say, God, I am the one that you are going to be holding on to. And as a result of me holding on, the world is going to see the hero that saved a lost person like me that does not deserve to be saved. Lamentations mentions it. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness of the gall. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope in, his, in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be his hope. The greatest struggles comes the greatest victories. The greatest struggles also come the greatest relationships. When I was a youth pastor, we used to take our kids hiking down the Rogue River Trail. And it's a 40-mile hike. And uh, we carried large backpacks, and the heat was always um, severe. Uh, three times we ended up meeting bears. Twice we ended up meeting rattlesnakes. So it was not an easy trip. And every time I was on the trip... I told the kids, make sure I don't plan this next year. <laughs> because it's like giving childbirth. You forget the pain, and then you keep on planning it every year because the blisters come, the blood comes, the sweat, the hurt, all those things come. I remember the first trip that we had. We had one girl that fell asleep because she was so exhausted, and as she was sleeping, she was barfing up her spaghetti and still didn't wake up, it seems like. She just sat there and laid and barfed. 
It's interesting that whenever I see my youth kids, they're adults now, whenever I see my youth kids from Deaver Connor, what do they talk about? They talk about the Rogue River Trail. Talk about the Rogue River Trail. Why? Because I think that Rogue River Trail connected us more than anything. Why? Because we were raw in our emotions, raw in our feelings, and we had to survive together. When we get to heaven, what are we going to talk about? I think we're going to talk about this life called um, on earth. Remember those times that you were in your dark moments? Remember this time that you were in pain? It seems like, God, you were absolutely amazing during those times. And for eternity, I think that's what we're going to talk about. Number seven, how do we deal with our pain? Leverage your pain for the purpose of ministry. There is only... There, there is only one thing that hurts in life more than pain. There's only one thing that hurts in life more than pain, and that is a life without purpose. In other words, a life without purpose is more painful than a life with pain. I think that's the only thing that hurts more than pain. Um, do you believe it? Some might disagree with me. Anybody who disagrees with me obviously doesn't have a TV <laughs> and obviously does not watch movies. Have you ever seen movies? What are the theme of almost every movie, at least the movies I watch? This is, you know, exit the ro- romance movies. But there's kill, there's fight, and they're all willing to die for what? A purpose. Charge into battle. Why? For the purpose of victory. Fight for the purpose of rescue and your love. Conquer for the purpose that you will not be conquered. Death for the purpose um, of revenge. All the themes of war movies, of of action movies, are we're living for a purpose. And as we're going for this purpose, it does not matter how much pain we face on the way. Have you ever watched a movie and said, oh, no, no, don't go through the pain, don't go through the pain? You don't do that. Well, they say, stay strong, get to the purpose, get to the purpose, get to the purpose. And what are we? We're attracted to that. Why? Because purpose carries more power than pain. Braveheart, what takes place at the very end, he's the star of the show. His purpose is freedom, and as his purpose is freedom, his love comes to him and says, you are now captured. You're going to be died, tortured, and gutted. And she says, "Um, I cannot bear that thought. And what was his comment? Famous comment, everyone dies, but not everyone really lives. Just in a sense that I don't care about the pain. I've got to hold the purpose. The purpose is what drives me. Pain's okay as long as the purpose is there. The Titanic. This is just a couple movies. The Titanic. What's the last scene? You have Rose that's on the, the, um, the gate floating in the water. It's freezing cold after the ship sunk. And then you had Leonardo DiCaprio, I forgot his other name, sitting at the, in the water. And as he's sitting in the water, he is shaking, shivering, and in moments, he's going to die. During those split seconds that he is going to die, he makes a comment that we should all laugh at. What was his comment? This is the best ticket I ever purchased. The, tur- the ticket's killing him. <laughs> he's going to die as a result of, uh, not purchased, but one, as a result of the ticket that he had. But what we do with that movie is we're like, 
Oh, he's carrying purpose. And it's all right that he goes through the greatest pain in the world. Why? Because we can survive as long as he has purpose. And when he has purpose, what are we doing? We are attracted to that. Now, this is all in all the Hollywood films. In fact, my my daughters kind of laugh at me because I am so strong on purpose that if the main character in a film does not die, it's not a good movie in my mind because I like, I like, I like purpose. You've got you to exist for a purpose. You've got to drive for a purpose, and you don't worry about pain in the process. But this is in real life. People charging into battles. Why? Because there's purpose behind charging into battles. Purposes of freedom. Purposes of making sure their people that are connected with are safe. Do you believe it? There's also um, purpose in having children. When you have children, children automatically give you a rich, strong purpose. What about the person that cannot have a child? What about the barren womb that cannot have a child? Does it crush a person? It crushes a person that I think they'd even start making deals with God. God, I would not even mind chronic pain if you can give me a child because I want that purpose that a child brings. You see the power of purpose in regards to ah, pain is not nearly as hurtful, or pain is not nearly as, as painful as not having a purpose. Um, do you believe that purpose is more powerful than pain? If you look at the suicide rate, highest suicide rate is in, in teens, but the next highest suicide rate is in what? Midlife, midlife crisis is what they call it. And what happens in midlife crisis, they turn around, people look at their lives, and they say, I existed without purpose. And it just kills on the inside. It hurts worse than pain. And many people would say, you know, I'd rather have painful life rather than have a life with no purpose. We have all these purposes, and that's what keeps us strong. That's what keeps us alive. If you look at two different stories um, in the Bible— there was a rich man called Solomon. He was the richest guy that's ever walked on this planet, and he had more wisdom. He had absolutely everything. Here is the word from somebody who had absolutely everything, meaning thousand wives. Look at this. Ecclesiastes 2. So I hated life. A man who had everything. I hated life because the work that has been done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless. All of it was a chasing after the wind. There is a reason why he hated life, and he hated life because there was no purpose. Let's go to the next person. This person, I think, has suffered worse than anybody else besides Jesus Christ. His name was Apostle Paul. And how does Apostle Paul respond to his life? This is how he responds. I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of the sharing in his suffering becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to obtain the resurrection of the dead. You see, as he is in pain, he goes, there is a purpose that the pain can even increase because the purpose is even stronger. How did Paul heal his pain? He put purpose to pain. And when he put purpose to pain, it made us like, okay, this is going to be all right. Why? Because it's carrying something stronger than the pain itself. Spurgeon says the Christian gets rich by his losses. He rises by his falls. He goes on by being pushed back. He lives by dying. He grows by being diminished and becomes full by being empty. Is there purpose in that quote? Romans 5.3 
We rejoice in our sufferings. How can anybody rejoice in their sufferings unless there's something that is beyond suffering? We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that the suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. The ultimate purpose comes as a result after the suffering takes place. So if you look at this and say, okay, I'm suffering, and you say I should put purpose in the suffering, what are you talking about? Um, This is what um, the challenge would be um, this morning. Are you um, suffering chronic pain? Are you suffering loss? Whatever suffering that you have, which can often or can easily be identified because it's probably at the surface of your mind right now, whatever suffering that is the deepest in your life is probably the ministry that God has called you to. You all keep on wondering, well, I don't know what my ministry is. The suffering that you are going through is probably the ministry that God has called to. Why? Because it is the biggest megaphone that you have. Are you suffering chronic pain? How much, how many other people are suffering chronic pain? How many people in this church are suffering chronic pain? Are we walking together in the process of suffering through the chronic pain? Are we isolated from each other in the process that we are suffering chronic pain? You see, what takes place is pain gets us connection to God, but pain can get us connected with each other and cause a megaphone, even to the lost world, that says, what does the church have to offer me? If somebody walks in the door with chronic pain, and they look at the bulletin, they say, a group of those who suffer with chronic pain come and find relief, come and find fellowship. What happens is it will attract people like crazy to ministry. It will attract people like crazy to a relationship, to people. And what takes place is you'll have a group that is strong, that is connected, that are walking together. How many people are suffering with loss of children? It hurts and it aches inside. Is that, can that be a ministry? Um, you, I do not understand the pain of somebody who has lost a child. But I believe that there's many people in this room that understand the pain of those who lost a child. What takes place is if you're reading through the prayer letter and you see, I am suffering loss of a child and you have lost a child, that is the time that you call the church and say, can I have this individual's number? Because I want to minister to that person. You'll be the strongest megaphone that person can possibly ever have. Absent fathers, people are struggling with that. Why don't we get together and try to say, this is struggling. I'm hurting. It's painful. Talk about it. Sexual assaults. I think that you'd be surprised how many people in this church um, have gone through sexual assaults as they were children. And the reason why I say that I think you would be surprised is because I've worked here for 11 years and I am shocked with how many people have gone through sexual assault and still living with it as children. Can I minister to them? Can Pastor D minister to them? Not nearly as powerful is somebody that says, I have faced it as well. Let's hold on to each other as we go through this war, as we go through this difficulty. The pain of past abortions. People have had an abortion. It sticks with us. It carries with us. And there's a pain that continues to happen. Getting people together and talking about it and working through it together is very, very powerful. The pain of facing death. There's been many death. Um, um, in the church, and um, I would just have a, um, 
uh, mentioned, I did not ask to use um, her name. Uh, so I won't use her name, but she is here, and I just want to use her as an example. Um, she has received, she's in her 80s, and she has received cancer, has cancer, and the cancer is not good. The cancer is not healthy, and it has a possibility of, of taking her life. Um, she goes to a small group on Thursday night, and uh, in that small group, I know numerous people that are suffering with that cancer, with cancer as well. And I had somebody in the small group come up to me, and uh, with tears in their eyes, um, this person was broken, looked at me, and said, I think that God has given us, this individual that is suffering with terminal cancer, has given us this person to teach us all how to die. To teach us all how to die. Why did that person say that? Because this person with terminal cancer has a smile on her face. She says, I have God. I have Jesus. I have strength. And we're all going to die, is what she says to me. We're all going to die, and we're all going to meet Jesus, but there's still a strong faith that is there. We need champions like that. The world needs champions like that. And as a result of a champion like that, I stand at 44 years old, I stand completely amazed at the beauty of God by looking at a champion like that. What do we need to do? Grab a hold of ministry to our pain. It heals people, but also heals us. Why? Because all of a sudden, purpose is the focus, and purpose will always trump pain. Pain with no purpose equals depression, oppression, and destruction. Pain with purpose brings healing and brings life in you and others. Number eight, it's been mentioned before. Job's pain was his ministry. Paul's prison was his pulpit. And Christ's cross was his mission. The story of uh, um, when I was a youth pastor, we had three cars at the church. And my wife and I, this is before we had kids, my wife and I um, were only two drivers, and we needed to get the three cars back to my house. And the way to get the three cars back to my house was my wife and I driving home, dropping one off, coming back, driving the other one, and it was going to be a process. We had a youth individual that says, if you want me to drive that car, that won't be that big of a deal for me to do, and then we can pick it up. I thought, well, that's a great idea. No problem. You can drive the car. What's going to take place? It's only a 10-minute drive. And um, so we gave him the keys of the car. Then I took off and, and went home. We lived in Talbot at the time. And uh, when I went home, I um, waited for him to arrive. I waited for my wife to arrive. And 10 minutes passed, 15 minutes passed, 20 minutes passed, 30 minutes passed. It was not the era of cell phones, so I was wondering what has happened. My wife then walks in the door, and she, her first words are, don't freak out. That means something happened. She gave me the story. She said that one of the individuals that were going to drive my car needed to go to the bathroom. They stepped out of the car to go to the bathroom, but they did not put the car in park. The car then rolled into a tree, and it's just a small little dent on the front of the car. I said, how big is the dent? And says, well, remember, they're showing up. They're kids. Be gentle. I go, uh-huh, Sure. So sure enough, I show up and I walk out of, of, the, um, of the house, and what do I see? I see two kids 
and a huge dent. <laughs> it was not little dent. The whole front was smashed in. And I'll tell you, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but the anger from inside starts go. And the first thing you want to do, in my mind, I want to tell those kids what for. It is a 10-minute drive. How come you had to smash the car in a 10-minute drive? Something hit my mind. And the thing that hit my mind is I'm going to give the most powerful sermon that I've ever given in my entire life. And it is going to be power in the sense of ugly or power in the sense of good. Because I'm not going to be speaking from my mouth. I'm going to be speaking from my heart. And the congregation is two kids. And as soon as that hit my mind, I said, I just better shut up, this is what I thought, and go to bed. So I said, I'm not saying anything. I just turn around and I walk into bed. Sure enough, as I was laid in bed, the kids are like, because they were actually going to spend the night at our house that night. We're going to go rapping the next day. The kids go into the room, and as they go into the room, they're like going, oh, this wasn't good because Mike's not saying anything, and saying nothing was worse than saying something in their minds. And my wife, in her sweet attitude, says, you know you need to go tell those kids that everything's all right. I said, well, everything's not all right. <laughs> you need to go tell those kids that everything is all right and everything's good. So sure enough, I got up against my nature. Say, Everything's wonderful. Don't worry. You guys are more precious um, than a car. Well, I look back at that story, and as I look at that story, I would have been so stupid and foolish to unleash on them. Why? Because ministry was more important than pain, and as soon as the pain came there, the megaphone on influence showed up. All the way through the Bible, that's what we see. We see pain. What are we going to do with it? Are they going to have ministry as a result? Um, so what are we going to do? We all, live in it. we all live in pain. God went through it. Embrace it and use it for ministry. I think if God was speaking to us right now and we were suffering pain, I think these are the things that he would challenge us to do. So that would be the challenge this morning. Father, we just thank you so much, God, for for meeting us in our pain, that you do not just leave us alone and expect us to survive, but that you have embraced us, God. You 